We're live. We're live on the interwebs through the good graces of the Business Next Door YouTube. Joining me today on Voyage of the Geek, thanks to Dan, who is still in some ditch somewhere, um, coughing and spluttering through uh, his way through the flu, is Rick Legato. Good evening, Canberra. Rick, wider world, and the wider world. Rick, game designer extraordinaire, all around. Um, Bad seed. Well, I was I was going to leave that to last. I was going to uh, <laughs> I was going to positive it up and then neg it at the end. Um, but uh, either way, it's a pleasure to have you on board. Thank you for having me here. How's your week been? Been pretty good, pretty good. Um, I spent some of the weekend writing for a project I'm working on. An unannounced computer game. Oh, nice. So that was very nice. I'm designing and writing side quests. Mm-hmm. Cool. Which is, which is keeping me very busy outside normal full-time work. Nice, nice. And genre? Um, oh, or is that given away? I don't want to give too much away. It's a... Uh, I guess you could say it's a trading, crafting, uh, questing type game. Very nice. Up, very open world. Yeah. Period. Um, oh, it's... It's Not sure yet. Haven't locked that in. And the periods um, make believe. There, there's no real technology as, yeah. as we know it. It's all very basic. Mm-hmm. And so it's, it's not based on our history or anything like that. It's no, a no, complete it's a new world. Complete new world. Yeah. Um, sort of game I think will attract both uh, younger gamers and adults. Is that is that a a real? important part of what you do to you the the world building the the having to because for me it would be yeah well i'd love that aspect of it it's been an interesting project because i'm not actually um the main person behind it oh yeah Um, so i didn't get to create the world i what i have been able to do i've been able to be a backseat driver which is wonderful which is i have all the input but no responsibility um so i'm just creating characters and situations and um they really seem to appreciate the crazy crap that i i I come up with i suppose the stuff i'm writing is cross between labyrinth and dr seuss oh cool so it's a bit wacky bit out there that's awesome man that is awesome and so almost a breath of fresh air sometimes to to have to work to parameters yeah when quite often you're given a loose brief it might sound advantageous to have a loose brief. I always prefer some direction, yeah. you know, especially when it's someone else's dollar. <sighs> the, the more I can minimise back and forward, the better. I'd rather you just give me give me a, something. Give me a pencil sketch. Give me, uh, tell me a movie that reminds you of the concept you've got in your head. And if it's nothing, then give me colour. Give me something to start with. Otherwise, I'm... I'm in the universe, you know, trying to hit a planet. And a drift. Yeah. Um, well, this project started, oddly enough, we spoke about it because um, I'm, I'm working remotely. It's with some old colleagues from Chrome. Oh, cool. And uh, they're working in Brisbane. And the brief they gave me, they gave me sort of a feel. And I came back with them with some really wacky ideas, types of quests and characters. And I don't know if it was... A, I met their brief exactly, or B, they just liked the, the crap that I came up with. Yeah, yeah. So they just kind of said, just keep making that. And and that's what I've been doing ever since. That's what you want to hear. Yeah. Just 
given a bit of leash. It's it's great. It's great. And it, it takes a little bit of experience, doesn't it, to you to wield that power properly. Yeah. Um, cuz there's a lot of responsibility cuz it's, you know, it's their project. I want to make the game that they want to make. It's not my pro- project. So there is that sense um, of, yeah, of, like you said, responsibility. Um, on the bright side, because we worked at Chrome and we get along very well, um, we already have a working relationship. So we're really riffing off a professional and personal relationship that already exists, which yeah. has made life probably a bit easier. Mm. Although that is a double-edged sword, because if things don't go well, yeah, then you're burning a friendship. But Trust is important, isn't it? Yeah, and I think that's what we have. A, yeah. a, a a lot of trust. You got to for for anything remote, any sort of remote pipeline. Um, there's an element of trust there, and so you're at an, at an advantage that you develop that trust in a face to face scenario. Um, it's it's all about trust when you're trying to manage it. You know, you've really got to rely. Know that I I can rely on this guy. I can't rely on them, but they're still going to create me work. But this guy here is going to be able to cover. If one of them goes down, I can rely on this guy. He's going to pick up the slack. Yeah, I've, they've been very patient because um, working outside a full-time job, I can't always deliver as much as they want when they want. Yeah. But um, interestingly enough, um, after I'd made probably about half a dozen quests, um, I didn't get you know normally the iteration feedback that change this, change that. Mm-hmm. And so I was a bit worried that they felt a bit that they weren't able to approach me. Um, in, in regards to changing things. So I said, you know, you guys can hit me as, as hard as you want. I'm pretty thick-skinned these days. Yep. And they and their response was, um, no, it's all fine. We're just keep doing that. Yeah. So um, if you're looking for Chrome, it's K-R-O-M-E. And it's for a mob called Prideful Sloth. Cool. So that's yeah, that's Chrome it. Studios in Brisbane, where we made uh, a Star Wars game. It feels so. You worked on the um, Clone Wars Republic Heroes. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's where you would have met Dean. Yeah, he was yeah. on that. Um, I had a mate. Let's see what's going on here with my mouse. Oh, there we go. Back then, Dean hadn't earned the uh, respect he enjoys now. And rookie, he would have been a rookie, wouldn't he? Yeah, and we used to refer to him because of a a Nick. Cape novel I had just read as Dog Boy <laughs> from An Ass Saw the Angel. And and that um, that hazing that happens with the rookies in the studios is you only get that with a, at least a medium sized studio. Yeah. You can't get away with as much in a in a smaller boutique studio. Um, I had a mate Dennis that you wrote that wrote tools for Chrome at in Brisbane. He would have been there when you were there. Oh yeah. Yeah, we, we had our own Set. Yeah, yeah, there so were guys creating. Um, at one point, there, Chrome was broadcasting training sessions to all three um, studios. Yeah, in studios. Adelaide, yeah. Uh, Brisbane, and yeah. Melbourne, I think it was. Yeah. Like, it's weird that we only met at the start of this year yeah. uh, when you started working at AIE in Canberra. But I worked for nearly five years. Across the road from you. Oh, really? Yeah, I worked for Liquid. Uh, small Wait, world. Yeah, yeah. I walked past your building to go to the pub. Uh, beautiful can- a lunch oh, over yes. the back there, what right? What's the name of that pub? It's the... Uh, as soon as you say it, I'll, it'll take me it's there. It's not 
Uh, I think it starts with J. No. I saw the some Jubilee. F- Jubilee, that's the Jube. it. I, it, had a, it had a chicken schnitzel like you wouldn't believe. You, you wouldn't quit. I saw some incredible punk gigs there. They had some good gigs there. Um, and so I was either walking past your work to go to that pub or you were walking past my work to get to Brunswick Street. Yeah. Every day. Yeah. I'd be out the front. Smoking. So, so was I out the front of crime. <laughs> smoke. It's a small world. So a lot of and a lot of the guys I worked with at Liquid went to work for crime early on. Um, oh, Darren. Uh, yeah. Well, a, a redhead. Darren. Yeah. Young guy. There's a um, there's a very good close friend of Dean's that worked on the same project. He came from uh, Duck Dodgers. Um, we worked on Duck Dodgers together at Liquid. Right. And he went to Chrome. There's a few guys. Geordie yeah. was my instructor, my professor at um, Quantum before Quantum got bought by SAE. Wow, it's a small world. Geordie's awesome. Geordie um, coded a 3D render algorithm in Flash in 2002 or something like that. Yeah, that's a bit of <laughs> a bit of impressiveness. He was uh, he was very. They snapped him up in a in a heartbeat. I think in those days, Quantum and Chrome had a very close relationship. Yeah, there were a fair few Quantum students. Direct like feeder. Um, Chrome had the only game. Uh, Quantum had the only game degree in Australia at the time. They were the first to create a game degree. Yeah, yeah. And it was with with Chrome that yeah. they partnered up with. Yeah, I remember when I was working at Creative Assembly. Mm. I've been around everywhere. You have. Um, we got a few uh, quantum students then, back then, and uh, that was the first time I'd ever heard of quantum. Yeah. Because I remember someone said, oh, they're from quantum. And I'm thinking, oh, what studio is that? And they realized, ooh, it's a school. So, what do we get when we do a normal Google search? Ah, there we go. Yeah, it worked on Star Wars Clone Heroes. That was actually a fantastic project. It didn't score that well, but... Um, this one here? Or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, I worked on it as designer and uh, co-writer, and I've got to say, I had some great fun. Awesome. I even got to create some characters that are now part of the Star Wars canon. Awesome, man. If you go to Wikipedia, Wikipedia, yeah, 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 yeah. And you look up a clone trooper called Boomer, You'll see that he slightly resembles me. The artist thought it'd be a laugh because uh, clone troopers are all supposed to look the same. Yeah. If they could um, subvert the uniqueness of the clones and by um, giving him a mohawk. What was his name? Boomer. I think I, I think I know the episode. And um, they uh, also where where I've got a. Uh, eyebrow piercing they gave him a bit of a thing on the eyebrow and they made his skin a bit olive coloured where do I find this thing Um, if you look under where is he if you put under boomer you'll get there he is this guy here yep because he's CS2207 (laughs) (laughs) see see what I mean by they subverted the whole clone trooper thing and made him look like me (laughs) that's awesome man and uh, not only that is because when you work for an IP like Star Wars you don't get to own anything or be credited for anything. Mm-hmm. Um, so I thought, I've got to put my mark on this guy somehow. Yeah, yeah. So you'll notice his serial number is my birthday. That's awesome. This? Yeah, 2207. That's great. That's really cool. That's the best kind of Easter egg. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> we, 
almost without provocation, digital artists can't help themselves. Yeah. They stick little Easter eggs in everywhere. Um, I'll tell you off air one time, and it has to be off air, <laughs> what I stuck into a Mickey Mouse animation once. <laughs> but I have, um, when I was first starting out, um, I did a test. Um, my first animation job was Disney. In, oh, wow. And it was, doing, it was mainly doing work for Disney Mobile um, Japan, doing mobile content, like little, little tiny episodes of mobile content that went out to a very big mobile market. And so it was episodic. How long ago was that? Oh, 2006, 2005, something like that. Um, and I had to do a test. So I went in there and I had to do this, this test and they gave me a rig. It was a Mickey Mouse rig. And so here, that's the test for me. I'll tell you, man, I nearly died that day. But I had to do a test animation for Mickey Mouse 10 seconds. And they gave me complete freedom, except here's the rig and you you got to use that's what you got to use so i did one um standard sort of walk cycle blasted that out in about two hours and then i did a moonwalk <laughs> <laughs> because i grew up in in uh in the late 80s with break dancing and yep. that sort of stuff i could do the moonwalk you know i've been around nightclubs for most of my life i used to busk rap dance oh did you yeah yeah yeah, when yeah. I was a teenager. yeah the baggy pants and everything yeah yep. the high, the the um, the Jordans and all that stuff. Well, yeah. Jordan wasn't around yet. Yeah, and we used to uh, busk on a refrigerator box. With your, <laughs> with your ghetto blaster. <laughs> and a, a bag f- full of uh, batteries. Yeah. Um, where was I? What was I saying? Oh, the animation Mickey Mouse. Animation. Oh, yes, yes. I did a, a moonwalk. And I, I had enough time to put a ground plane and just put a, a little concrete sort of texture on the ground plane. And then I spread a couple of pieces of scraps of paper on the ground to make it look like it's a, it was a street sidewalk. Put a light in, bit of shadows, that's it, right? Because I had a, a very little time left. But the bits of paper on the sidewalk that were incidental garbage on the paper were my CV. <laughs> and that's why I got the job. <laughs> Someone Fantastic. noticed it, yeah. My creative um, noticed it. That's pretty impressive. Uh, Mind you, after what I've just revealed about Boomer, I expect Star Wars, the LucasArts lawyers to scrub Boomer off yeah. the face of the earth. <laughs> if George was still around, you probably you you might not be far from the truth. Um, I think Disney's loosened up a little bit. They might um, actually let some people create some IP around this stock now. Man, they they held he held such a tight leash, didn't he? Um, he did, and he didn't. Um, I remember speaking to. David Filoni, who was um, oh, did di- you? directing Clone Wars. Yeah, we spoke yeah. A, a few times. You would have too. You would have. You're, you were a spin-off of those yeah. characters, weren't you? Yeah. You were a different genre using yeah. those same characters. You would yeah. have had a Because um, our game lots had to occur between seasons one and two. Mm. And at the time, season one was just about the start, I think. And so I read all the scripts for season one, season two. Yeah. Sort of soaked in there, the, the way they spoke. And uh, anyway... Uh, yeah, we. I, I had some very interesting conversations with. The, yeah, that's him, Dave Filoni. He's a genius. Or at least he did. He's a genius in the world that I've seen him in. I haven't seen him outside of that doing no. other things, but he did a really good job with that. See, he did. I remember him talking to me how each episode he was sneaking, saying a little bit darker, a little bit darker, yeah. a little bit darker, and it did. Yeah. It did. And 
not only darker in th- in theme, but um, in mood created by lighting and and um, just the whole thing. And the, yeah, the story's got a lot darker as well. But the characters got better. Yeah, you, you started to really connect by uh, halfway through. I reckon the the whole series. Um, he was kicking goals everywhere because yeah. he had to get past the stigma, I guess. Yeah, he did, and um, in, in a, a sense, I think it was kind of almost easy for Dave because he was a fan and he wanted to create the sort of thing that he'd watch. Mm. And I think that was his sort of shining light. Yeah, he's got some affiliation with the new movies, doesn't he? I don't know to be honest. I think I've seen him. Either the new movies or might know he might have an affiliation with the new series Rebels. Mm. Have you seen Rebels? Yeah, I, I have. I've tried to get into it, but I, I can't re- really. Yeah, it's just um, I'm probably a little bit too young for me to fully enjoy it. Yeah, yeah. What did you think of? Um, where's the IMDb listing here? Um, what did you think of? Death and destruction. Uh, what did you think of the 2D animated Clone Wars um, series? I don't think I've ever seen that. There's a 2D animated series that happens between the second and third movie. Uh, I'll bring up a, 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 a snippet and best show you. Very interesting, Mr. Um, because I believe the stylization that was used in the Clone Wars series started in that 2D series. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, yeah. Creator. He's one of the creators of Rebels. Dave Filoni. There you go. Yeah. I know he's, he's one of the family now. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a few. There's, a, there's like Dennis Murin... Um, over at ILM, um, the, the technical director at ILM, John Knoll, him and his brother invented Photoshop. Oh, really? Yeah, to do the chrome effects in Terminator and um, the Abyss, um, they needed to be able to map imagery onto the 3D Photoshop. I'll be bugging. Yeah, him and his brother. Um, so he's one of the family as well. Kennedy, who's now the biggest kahuna you get in the Star Wars universe, right? She owns. She's the manager of everything. She's the Disney person put in charge of Star Wars. All right, across the board. And I, I I'm going to have to maybe do a bit on a show so I can really do a little research. I think she was affiliated with Lucas and Star Wars before the the buy. Yeah, and she might have been included in it, or I don't know how it all went down. But man, she's a very connected, smart savvy you know she, even already already the thing she's done with that um, franchise is fantastic it's all been good yeah it could have gone the other way I have to say um, when I first heard Disney about Star Wars scary um, stuff huh yeah if not for the fact that that they'd already bought Marvel and cranked out um, some of those movies those Marvel movies that I sort of went mm, maybe maybe they were all right. Maybe they've sort of realised that it's not all a beautiful, perfect world and you've got to get dirty sometimes. Yeah, I was a bit worried I was going to get po- Pocahontas in space. Um, but, yeah. Um, I, sh- I should give you a link. J.J. Abrams does a talk. You might have seen it. It's a TED talk. It's called The Mystery Box. 
he talks about the 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 narrative and the and storytelling and how it's all about the mystery inside the box. You know, don't don't be in such a hurry to open the box all the time. And he refers to Jaws and a lot of his films are like that. You don't get to see the the thing that every everyone's scared of or that's killing yeah. people or whatever until right at the very end. Um, but he's also heavily influenced. Uh, sorry. That talk and the fact that he's heavily influenced by the people that I grew up loving, like Spielberg and Lucas and Cameron, and he actually looks up to those people, where a lot of other young directors look at the, those sorts of guys and think they're the commercial tentpole guys. I want to be associated with these independent filmmakers or, you know, cult filmmakers, um, you know, Oliver Stone or, you know, down that direction. Um, and he's unique in that sense. Everything he touches is not bad. Yeah, yeah. And I, I certainly understand what he's saying about that, you know, basically don't let the cat out of the bag too early. Yeah. Like a, a classic example, and it's still to me one of the creepiest moments in in film for, for me, and yet it's not even supposed to be a, a horror film, is that moment in Signs where they're on uh. the news playing a black and white video of a supposed birthday in Mexico and one of the aliens just happens to yeah. walk through through the shot yeah. and that I just found that so creepy because it had been such a build up yeah because we never actually saw them we heard them yeah um, we saw them affect objects in the world and yep. run around on the roof and scatter into the cornfields but we didn't actually ever see them yeah until that mo moment it's it's critical it's absolutely critical um, have you ever seen this no, I haven't. This is a, a, I think, let me just check and see if I've got the right movie here. Um, so this is Lake Mungo, um, which, let me just do a standard Google search, because it's an Australian film. And... Of course, with the name like Mungo, what else could it possibly be? There's, it's... It's based around... So it's a real place. Lake, Lake yeah. Mungo is a real place in Australia. Um, I better put in film. See if we get the right film here. Um, I won't play the trailer, but this is it? Is yeah. it? Yeah. While swimming in the family begins to No, this is not it. This is somebody probably trying to rip off... Um, rip off the concept. Um, I'll try... I'll try and bring it up here if I can. Lake Mungo, right? So it's about this the daughter, I think she commits suicide or something like that. And she's only young, 17 or something like this. And so the whole thing is shot documentary style. And uh, this is definitely not it. Um, whole thing shot documentary style. And throughout the whole thing, it's interviews, right? So they're interviewing the parents. They're interviewing people that um, are involved in this episode with the girl resulting in killing herself because it didn't just start as um, uh, a sudden thing it built up over time she went from being quite a normal teen to becoming quite a dark um, very troubled teen and so the documentary style filming of it that information is coming through exposition from from the people being interviewed right <clears throat> And then at one point it takes a left turn, not a huge left turn, but something mysterious happened because someone was filming 
whilst doing a land survey or something out in the middle of nowhere. And across the other side of this water waterway, it's a river or a dam or something, there's a girl standing in the middle. And I'm, mate, it's in the middle of nowhere. She's standing in next to some trees on the other side. And it gets caught for a couple of frames on this video. But it doesn't, they don't notice it. So it's just these couple of frames. And then they realize after the fact. And this spikes this thing because she's wearing the same clothes and looks identical to this girl. And that starts this process, and then there starts to be creepy things happening around the house. And, um, and But the whole thing is done completely straight, and it's done documentary style, right? So you're, you're peaked, because if you don't catch the opening three minutes, like I didn't, this was on SBS on 11 o'clock one night, yeah. it's like War of the Worlds. You're straight in, right? And it's a documentary. You don't know any of them are actors because none of them are famous Australian actors. They're all, never seen any of them before. And so I'm in. It's a documentary. And all of a sudden, it's turned into a ghost docu, like the, the spooky documentary where weird shit's going on. Anyway, by the end of it, they realise it's the brother. The brother's lost a few screws because of the sister killing herself. And he's been playing, he likes the attention he gets by playing funny buggers in people's videos and yep. things like that. Then right at the very end when they roll the credits, she's in all of these shots that have been... Get, I just, look, look, i got goosebumps <laughs> just telling you that. Um, she's in all of these shots that are in the documentary. When you're looking at the person being interviewed here, she's over there. She's next to that. You know what I mean? Yep. And, and they just zoom in while the credits are rolling. And then they'll show another image, and she's in that shot. It, it's crazy, man. Like this, it spun me, and I've never heard of it. Like I, even when we do a, a search here, we can't even get the right film. Um, maybe we should um, try Lake Mungo plus SBS. We'll see, we'll see if we can get anything. Is it Mongo? It's M. Uh, no, no, it's definitely Mungo. Mungo. Yeah, that's what I, I meant. Pardon my pronunciation. Yeah, I might. Yeah, yeah. Let's do that. Let's go. SBS. But I'll I'll definitely look it up because I reckon you'd really like the way they've crafted the the narrative or taken the. Um, uh, this is definitely it here. Ah, here we go. Might be able to see a trailer. Yes, and it's on SBS. Lovely. Um, <clears throat> the way they've crafted the, the narrative through this interview scenario. And uh, and how, how long ago did you say this? Something bad is going to happen to me. Uh, probably about... It hasn't reached me yet, but it's on its way. Five or six years ago. Ten days after Ellie's funeral, stuff started happening around the house. Sounds seemed to come from Ellie's old room. That indicated it led to a fall. Very well acted. Um, they keep it straight the whole time. And at no point do you get the sense oh, that seemed a bit set up, or that's you know that sentence didn't seem natural. Yeah. Really, really well done. 
But that's the whole thing JJ Abraham's talking about. Oh, no, this is oh, this not. Yeah, yes, yes, yes. About, you know, absolutely. Keeping the, the mystery box closed. Yeah. As long as you can. And it's a, me- it's a method, it's a mechanism. Um, so, so these photos were like superimposed and stuff was going on. And so the doco is all about the secrets. It's about all how why she became such a different person over this time period, and then trying to work out. Some people didn't believe that she died, took her own life, and and that she might be still alive. And it's weirdness, but the whole time it's through a very organic, natural performance of a human rather than an actor. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's incredibly well done, and I can't really work out why it never got any traction. So Lake Mungo, I'll try and dig it, see if I've got um, a source for it. Although it's on SBS, it, like as a review, it may be somewhere in there. Well, I saw it um, before. I think you had the SBS on the band, so you might be able to. Yeah, but definitely, uh, definitely, will I'll get. I'll try to get your coffee because I reckon you'll like it. So I've got some stuff that I want to show you. And it's because I can't sit on it any longer. It's two weeks now that Dan, I've been, I've been trying to save it up um, to talk to Dan about it, and I just can't uh, hold on to this stuff any longer. So uh, Dan misses out, right? It's his own fault. Bad luck, Dan. Yeah. Um, lose, you lose. Yeah, and we've, we're often talking about um, the contribution technically of the eighties and nineties to the way we um, do things now in the in film and digital visual effects and post-production, but also a lot of the technical advances um, that drove the games industry came from the 80s and 90s as yeah. well. Um, some major pieces of IP um, that started the whole ball rolling. And um, and we've all got special places for, for certain films and TV series and stuff yeah. like that from that period as well. Um, and one that keeps coming up, one that consistently comes up, and that is incredibly well respected um, is this one. Uh, the Last Starfighter. It is, for can, me, it's it's is it, it's the Arthur's Tale, is it? Yeah, yeah. It is, isn't it? It's the sword in the stone of the 80s and cashed in completely and perfectly with yeah. the arcade computer game. That's right, because the sword is his ability to play. Yeah. The video game. Yeah. The yeah. the premise basically aliens place a computer game on Earth to find somebody that has the hand eye or visual acuities needed to be a um, a star fighter, you know, the ultimate yeah. uh, ultimate warrior in space. Um and so that's sort of the sword in the stone, trying to find the diamond in the rough, the person that's got the at the heart has held all the skills and whatever. But it's it's a landmark piece of cinema. And, and why, why do you say that? What makes it landmark for you? It is the first film that used CG digital um, visual effects. Really? Complete shots created by CG. And, and what year was this? 1984. 1984. There's, there'd been short films. There'd been expo exhibitions. There'd been, it's still, it was still early tech. But these guys did um, texture rendered lit geometry in space. Let me let me throw up some images so we can have a look at um, some of these. 
And was it uh, sort of a, were those aspects celebrated at, at the time or did they just not really go past un unnoticed? Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, people just didn't, they knew they were seeing something like myself. Like, I, it was a different life for me. I wasn't even looking at this stuff um, from a technical perspective, um, not even from a creative perspective, more just straight audience. Yeah. Um, I was actually quite young. Um, and the, but I knew what I was looking at was different. I knew that, um, that that had something different about it. The values of of the the metallic finishes, the lighting, the angles. There was something clean about it, and the fact that it sort of um, so it didn't have that cut out look you often get, where you can see it's yeah, it's yeah. It didn't. There cut. were there were no matte lines and yeah. and um, green screen anomalies and down resing. Normally, when you do use optical printing, yeah. um, you have to keep sort of recasting the process you have to keep um putting new layers in shoot it put new layers in shoot it um and what in order to make that happen you downgrade the the image quality so what they used to do if they had the money they'd shoot double res like 70 uh -huh. 70 mil and that way after all of the work was done that's why star wars stuff looked really incredible for the time they shot a lot of the visual effects stuff the the uh, early sort of motion control stuff, yeah. 70 mil. Mm. And then by the time it went through optical printing, it came out looking nice. Um, but there was just something different about this stuff. And um, and it was stunning. And the other... But I think it was still secondary to the story. Yeah, yeah. The trailer park, middle of nowhere. Um, kids wanting to go away to uh, college and start a new life as an independent person, whatever, but he's stuck in this trailer park and he feels like he can't he never get away. Everyone relies on him to fix their tellies and stuff yeah. like that. <laughs> and then he plays this game, beats the world, beats the record or clocks it, and a couple of hours later an alien turns up in uh, in an awesome... Look, this guy here, he's a very famous uh, um, British actor. I think he's a British actor. He certainly does the British um, accent well, if I'm remembering it. So right. famous, but do you know his name? Uh, no. Fail. No, fail. <laughs> um, almost, almost that famous. Yeah, that's it. This is, of course, the game interface, which oh. which has a sensibility. It actually, it looks like it would work, doesn't yeah. it? That you've got your sort of uh, gyroscopic uh, positioning on the left and the right is a three-dimensional radar with blips that's sort of behind you, in front of you. The whole thing works really, really well. All, although my game design senses say too too many lines. <laughs> yeah. The UI is too yeah. difficult to see. Yeah. And what in 84, what would we have been seeing, you reckon? Um, what's a... I mean... That's sort of a year after the early Elite Dangerous, isn't it? Like that was 82 or something. I think Dan said he played it. Yeah, it, it reminds me of the um, sit-down arcade game to Star Wars, where it was just lines, that sort of... Oh, I know the one. Trench, where you yeah. go down the trench. Yeah. Yeah, that was an awesome game. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Vector. It was all Vector. There's a, yeah. there's a moment in time where Rasta kicks in. I've got a video. I'll try and dig it out for you. I reckon you'd love it. It's a, it's a, it's a timeline of video games 
little snippets, little sort of eight-second snippets of every video game of note from the birth all the way through to today. And you can see these moments. And every time I play that video to people, they know exactly when their gaming life started. They, they get to go, ah, I know that. Yeah, I know that. But everything before it was sort of retro. Yeah. You know, you can always tell where someone took in, came into gaming by how they react to this video. It's awesome. But you can see where Rust, where Vector turned into Ruster. Yeah, yeah this... Um, Maybe you should turn that timeline to, into the uh, initiation process for yeah. Voyage of the Geek. Yeah. See where people start. It's <laughs> a very good idea. Keep it's, It thins the herd too, because you don't want them starting to... They've got to have an appreciation for the old school stuff, I reckon. There's probably all these under 25-year-olds at the moment going, oh, my God, these old men are talking about the 80s. <laughs> this, um, <clears throat> so, yes, the, one of the main reasons I wanted to um, to bring this movie to the table was its contribution to the uh, to the technical. Now, there's a really cool, I'm not going to play it, um, I might flick through a couple of frames here, but there's a really cool video on YouTube, um, which I think is probably a program that aired on television at some time called Crossing the Frontier, the making of The Last Starfighter. It only goes for 32 minutes, man, but it's a really cool look back at the achievement, but also the technical achievement. They spend a lot of time talking about um, how they were coming up with ideas based on the fact that the guy in that cubicle just worked out how to put two lights in the scene. Yeah. Oh, that means we can do this and this and this. And so they start retrofitting what how they're going to shoot their sequences and stuff based on people actually inventing render algorithms and stuff in these cubicles while they were in the middle of trying to make this thing. <laughs> um so yeah, it's a good it's a really cool doco that you can have a look at. Um it's got some interesting people. Some of these people went on to do some pretty pretty cool stuff. The whole thing was created all of the CG stuff. Have you ever heard of a Cray? A Cray supercomputer? No. Um, this might be it here, actually. Here it is. I think he's talking about it. Get into the, into the show, and uh, we, we live there on the facility. He looks like one of the Microsoft founders. Portrait that we rendered, and, uh, it is in the That's Cray, right? This is a rendering of a Cray. That's what it looks like. I'll show you a photo in a second. That's it there. You could literally stand in the middle of it. It's called a supercomputer. It's a Cray supercomputer. Um, worth an incredible amount of money, like stupid money. There's only a few of these on the on the planet at the time, and they um, they created all of the 3D scenes and assets and everything using a cray. And and what would be the computing power compared to now? That, oh shit! Would that be eclipsed by our smartphone in our pocket? I could be way off because it's sort of we we keep doubling. Yeah. Um, I could be off by half a decade of, of where but I think we left it behind a long time ago wow, oh shit yeah I know I've, I still find it hard to conceptualise that computers that used to take up you know a whole story in a building yeah are now out done thousands of times by the thing we, we carry it in our pockets yeah that blows me that, away that there is mostly um processing wow so that's a processor yeah um and then it really just punches out data and then that they transfer that data to a um to a digital it's a digital analog conversion to film 
but it's all data. It's just pixels. Yeah. As long as you know the value of the pixel in red, green, blue, and transparency, you're done, man. It's that that side of it's actually pretty dumbed down. Yeah. It's the processing. And everybody's been trying to get faster since then. But yeah, like that's that in itself is a milestone to create bits of a movie with a Cray supercomputer. They governments use those. Like Big corporations use them, but not many film studios would get their hands on it. So how they wrangled that, I think, is in this doco. And they're talking about how limited the shots were um, because of budgets and things like that. But, yeah, they, they're... Oh, there he was. Was that him? Well, that's that's Dennis Murin. Right? He's been around at ILM for a long time. He's a stop-motion guy. You know the the snow walkers across the snow yeah. in, in Empire, Empire? There's your man, and he's he was the one that successfully went from stop mo to digital for Jurassic Park. He's the guy that said to George, "I'm gonna this Mac thing looks pretty interesting. I'm gonna go and play with that for a couple of months and learn how to compute because I I think we can use this thing." And then came back and. Uh, and said, "Yeah, let's. We need to create a, a section, and out of that, they, yeah, they they brought animals to life digitally." Smart man. Although he does look like the aliens in the film. <laughs> He's um. We'll have to edit that he, bit out, right? He, yeah, that's right. <laughs> um, he's one of the he's one of the family guys I was talking about before. Ah. And this guy. It was a gutsy move. That's John Knoll. Ah, right. He, uh, him and his brother invented Photoshop. When you when you load Photoshop for the first time, yeah. it comes up the splash screen. Mm. I think their names are first, and then a whole bunch of really smart, sciencey sounding. So they're part of the inner Star Wars court now. Oh yeah, yeah. They go beyond. They go deeper than George, although they still probably have a personal connection with George. I'd say. I'd love to be a fly on the wall on some of the conversations that happen at, at George's house nowadays. <laughs> Could you do it? Do what? The Sell something. everything you have built for $4 billion? I don't know. Um, ask me after I've built anything that big. Because remember, you have everything already, don't you? Yeah. Like, he, he he's an extremely wealthy man already. Yeah. I don't know. Um... The other thing too is with something that beloved by so many people, there's a lot of responsibility. And some say too much for one man. Yeah. And um, <laughs> uh, I'm not even going to go there. Mm. And uh, I got a feeling maybe he just didn't want that weight anymore. You know? Yeah, could be. Could yeah, be. It's like Atlas passing on this thing onto. Because I'm sure someone would have asked him why. Why did you decide to do that and and I'm sure there's an answer that's in pub, in the public mm. and also perhaps but I'd love to know if that's the truth and, and if if not what the truth is like how you actually how you feel why did you do that why yeah. did you feel you needed to do that it's probably also the stage of his life he's probably yeah. over it because to me it's like the 270 million wasn't enough mm. or whatever it was yeah. in his immediate bank account Right? Personal money that he did, he wanted to cash that up to four billion. Um, 
I I struggle to see that like that's a massive price, isn't it? To like that's it. You can't touch. No, no, no more touchy, touchy. Yeah, I don't think. Well, that's the thing. I, he probably lost that passion for it. He'd created it and was probably satisfied. Yeah. Like personally satisfied. Um, I suspect he just because the thing is, I mean, he, well, how how old is he now? Is late sixties, seventies? Got to be. And I think you know, I don't know. Ask me when I'm around that age. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. I suspect I'll understand more. But would you want more money? Oh, no. But I mean... He's I thought, like, I just... Like, if you're 30 and you're thinking, well, I need to make as much money because I've got to live on it. But when you're 70, unless you're really pumping a lot of money into charities and that's what you want to do, you want to cure polio or something like that, then I get it. But I haven't heard him in the news in that area. I don't know. I don't know. I might. Well, I think too. Um, if I were him, even if you just you know set the money on fire, you'd want to sell it for as expensive as possible yeah. to make it valuable. Yeah. Valuable to those that were paying for it. You know, if if they bought it for cheap, they're not going to respect. You know, it's one of those things. I think that's that's uh, that's a really good way to think about it, isn't it? I mean, I would think of it strategically like yeah. that. I would make sure that you would value the shit out of that thing. well yeah well financially you've already done it you know yeah. on the handshake it's done that's great I like that I like thinking about it that way I still am unsure whether I'll ever totally understand why I there's look. a need for that much money but because well yeah I might be erring on the low side but with 250 million he my gut feeling he's got Oh, I'm, I'm sure a lot of money. I'm, I'm sure the man doesn't, you know, get his power bill and go bloody hell, yeah. you know. <laughs> he could own a state now, I reckon. But uh, you know, I mean, before I tried to answer that question, I'd, I'd want to answer. Please explain what the hell happened with those prequels. Why did you do that? How did you do that? It's crazy, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. it's such a departure. Um, Dan summed, summed it up for me really, really well. He said. You can, you can focus on any of the characters from the uh, originals, and you can, you can put a, put out a, a description of the of the personality, of the character, of the character. Mm. You know, you can't do that with any of the prequel characters. Yeah, it, the, the prequels really remind me of those. Um American soaps like The Young and the Restless and um, what was the other one that went on for I think it might even still be on decades and decades for decades Jennifer Aniston's dad was in it Kuriakis Days of Our Lives oh Victor Kuriakis yeah 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 yeah. yeah. Um, I remember the character yeah to me the dialogue um, even the scenes themselves the the way they're shaped yeah the pacing yeah it's straight out of one one of those yeah yeah it was um it was a, a montage, not even a montage. It was, it was sort of a cut and paste exercise in digital f- film editing, and he was taking performances from one actor, slicing the film down the middle, and putting the reactions of other actors and and splicing those together, and they weren't in the same performance. Yeah, and even the the writing. 
he was proud of it. In, yeah. in the behind the scenes, he was talking about um, that's the way movies are going to be made. Yeah. And, and, you know, I can tell you right now, man, you do not make movies with the director um, in the editing suite doing that. Yeah. You just don't. Like, you don't cut before. When I talk to you, your facial reactions yeah. are specific to almost the millisecond yeah. of what I'm saying. Now, if you start... Um, messing that with, with that, what happens is my performance is fine because I'm delivering the line, but you look like a weirdo because yeah. you're de you're look, uh, reacting to totally different delivery. And that's why even in green screen things and like Lord of the Rings, there is actually you know he's there. Yeah. Um, you know well, what's his name, uh, Colin? Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's actually there. Yeah, that's right. Because and it makes a huge difference. The yeah. other actors know they they react in real time. Yeah, and it's flawless. Works yeah. perfectly. Uh, I, I also think the writing, thinking of lessons I got taught working for the um, Republic Heroes from Stephen Melching, um, who's done very well for himself. He, he's done a lot of the Star Wars yeah, stuff. Yeah. Um, anyway, he he taught me ha how to have that snappy rhythm, mm. and and it didn't have that. Yeah. It was very laboured yeah. di dialogue, which. And didn't work. and it was very talky, and it was yeah. all about trade routes and politics political yeah. you know shit and and it's supposed to be for kids. Yeah. Most kids will pass out when you start mentioning trade routes and yeah. you know political squabbling and all sorts of stuff. It's that's why they didn't kids didn't mind Jar Jar. That's yeah. a kids movie. But you wrecked it for all the adults. Yeah. Because and yeah. and like why start the story there? The yeah. Trade Federation. Yeah. You know like in the the writers group I mean we always talk about you know Getting into the story at the last moment possible, mm -hmm. and and like get in later after that. Like, who gives a shit about the trade thing? Like, there's an edit that exists that I'd love to get my hands on. There's a guy in um, in LA. He's an editor. He almost for a self dare recut the first three films into one film and took out. All of that shit, trade federations, blah 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 blah. You know, it, instead, it's a story of a boy that becomes a villain, an innocent boy full of good becomes a villain, and that's the story. And take, they take out everything, and they get a normal movie size. And apparently, what happened as the as the um, the rumor goes, he had a um, a viewing a party, a viewing party with 80 people or something like that. And that number could have mm. been inflated or deflated over the years. And it's only maybe about three or four years ago I, I heard this. But it's the only time anyone has ever seen it is in oh. that viewing. And why's that? Because he's fearful. like Lawyers. <laughs> yeah. Because you can't distribute that shit. You yeah. can do it, but you can't. If, if, yeah. it, if all roads lead to you, you're in trouble, man. Yeah, yeah, you're in trouble. Um, I'll start circling like harpies. Yeah, but I think if as a one-off uh, live thing, yeah. you could probably get away with that because yeah. it's a fair use type yep, deal. Yeah. But um, I'd love to see it. I'd love to see a, the Star Wars prequels cut together by an editor as an editing exercise, with left alone, like an editor just taking the footage and cutting it together into a film. Yeah. Yeah, man. Because <laughs> that was the biggest problem. It's edited together. The the prequels are edited together like a madman. Yeah. Like a total madman. The editor is the sound guy 
from the original Star Wars, the guy that came up with Ben. You've ever heard of Ben Burt? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. The lightsaber sound, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, all of those classic Star Wars sound effects that have since become the laser sound. Yeah, I remember the. I think I saw a documentary when I was a kid, and they're actually whacking a steel pylon. It, it's, the, it's the straining wire yeah. for a um, yeah for a pylon for yeah. a, uh, a telegraph pole. Yeah, yeah, and you whack it, and you, if you put a microphone on it, even a even a normal sort of wired fence, yeah. as long as it's strained tight, um, and the lightsaber noise is him waving. Um, there's a fault in the circuit, and if you wave it in front of a, a speaker, that's the noise you get. That. Anyway, he <laughs> became one of the Lucas family, probably had a room at the ranch. Um, he became the guy that did all the previs videos when Lucas was coming up with the ideas for the prequels, shooting previs stuff with a home handicam in George's um, garage. Um, then he became the editor. No. And I've never seen that before, man. I've never seen an audio guy, a Foley guy, become the editor of a major motion picture like that. I can't work out how that progressed. Well, I don't know if you've ever seen it. There's um, uh, On YouTube, there's Kevin Smith talking about his uh, role in a failed Superman. Yeah. And the producer that he's working with used to be Barbara Streisand's hairdresser. Oh. <laughs> Um, now, awesome. if Barbara Streisand's hairdresser can become a Hollywood producer, uh, it's not that big a step for an oh. audio guy. You're talking about the guy with the giant spider. Yeah. <laughs> the spider guy. That's him. That's, um, I think it's called The the Day Superman Lives Died. Yeah, The, the like doco is, is... And that's only fairly recent, but I... I I tell everyone, go and watch that movie. Uh, go and watch that documentary. Yeah. It is hilarious. This is hilarious. actually just from... Um, Kevin Smith doing a stand-up. Oh, so, really? So this is years ago. Yeah, yeah. Um, is it one of his speaking engagements? Yeah, yeah. 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 And um, oh, it, it just cracks me up because I've actually, the meetings he talks about, I've actually had some of those meetings. Yeah. With, and I think, wow, he's been on in on my meetings yeah. with some e executives. But um, yeah, so you know, if a, if a hairdresser can become a top Hollywood producer, then... A Foley guy can edit the next Star Wars movie. Yeah, yeah. At, at least he has some training in, right. in the medium. The original Star Wars, um, one of the main editors was Lucas's wife. Yeah, and yeah. Lucas is an editor. Like yeah. that's that's his that's his trade, is his editing. So I, you can forgive him at least for sitting in the edit room. But yeah, just that. I think he thinks he was pioneering something, and in a way he was, but. I mean, can you know? Is it the editor's fault, or is it material he had to work with? Well, see, the problem was he took material that he shot, um, and then started to micro-direct in the editing suite the performances, which is what you do normally with the whole resolution. You don't go in and go, "Well, the way he said, follow me in that shot." Um, is much better than that one, but I like the way they react in this one. And he, so he's chopping it down the middle, and he's taking those and splicing them together in, into the shot. He was doing that a lot, and he was proud of it. He was you know, a lot of the behind-the-scenes stuff. He's saying 
how proud he is with this direction and the fact that you can do that and celebrating the fact that you can we can do this in the edit suite that's you know that that's one of the biggest things that we we really think is going to take us to the new way of uh, filmmaking what, what gives it that feeling that i talk about the american soap is that you get these single shots of a person talking yeah that's probably why there's you know because if you have if you have a look it really bounces from character to character yeah the the best the best star wars films were always the ones with the exception of the original star wars which i think was super successful for so many other reasons than the directing um the best star wars movies were the ones he didn't direct the empire strikes back and jedi and jedi um not everyone's i think he's a visionary i'm not sure whether he was ever a director um dan's on Dan's on uh, the chat on the YouTubes. Good evening, Mr. Miller. He said, uh, an 80s Cray supercomputer. Slower than a 486. It's slower than a 486. Holy crap. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, so he's our silent fact finder. Yeah, yeah. So if we talk crap, he'll catch us out. Yeah. Br- look, bring that up, Dan. Look that up. We'll throw... <laughs> Throw your research tasks. That's pretty cool. Yeah, he's keeping an eye on us. What else has he got? I think he said uh, not not Steve George. So at some point, I'll probably call George Lucas Steve Lucas. Oh yeah, I missed that. Yeah. Yes, Dan says hello. So one of the best scenes from this classic film is the Death Blossom, which is the uh, So the idea being that uh, there's this special weapon that no one's ever tested um, that's been set up in this particular starfighter ship. So he's going to try and lure them in. Classic start. Like 80s uh, sci-fi had a lot of Light brown uniforms and beige. Because they're the colours of, of the future. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Here we go. Now, even by today's standards, this is an awesome sequence. Jeez, I, I have to provide a guy signal. When I saw that, like that three-dimensional sort of, yeah. and the rendering and being able to see through the cockpit and, yeah, just the shadows and the self-shadows, just really, this this floats my boat, this stuff. So I spend a lot of time in, in this space. Actually, because you're a technically-minded person from the screen world, I'd like you to explain to me how... The stuff on the that original Lord of the Rings, where they actually they rotoscoped, which one? The original, not the recent film, the cartoon animation made mm. in the eight. Yeah, that's Rody Roto. Yeah. Uh, well, it's they rotoscoped the performance, 
um, by tracing tracing the uh, straight off film. So they would literally do, create a 2D image by drawing over the top of real real film projected down onto their paper, mm. frame by frame. They started that really early. Um, Snow White. Um, Snow White, I got a feeling, is in the 30s. Yeah. Yeah, that's when Disney were doing it. Yeah. Wow, so it's that old. Yeah, rotoscoping performance. But it's very time-consuming because um, you've got to do every frame. You can't do... Normally, 2D animation is done on twos, what we, what we call twos, where it's played back at 24 frames per second, but it's actually shot or created at 12. And what we do is we hold each frame twice. Mm-hmm. Why so, is that? Because 2D animation is not photoreal, so you can get away with the jerky nature of it, especially if it's stylized 2D like Hanna-Barbera, um, Warner Brothers, that sort of stuff. Um, less you can get away with it less when you start to go to more photo real humans Voltron any of that sort of stuff um, but and you'll know what I'm talking about when you see Wallace and Gromit so when they shoot Wallace and Gromit they're shooting 12 sec 12 frames per second and then when they when they capture it to play back at 24 they just repeat every second frame twice so that's on twos they do that for efficiency because they'd be there for too long It'd just take too long if you do every frame of 24 frames every second. So we normally do 2D animation on on twos, but when you do roto of human characters, um, there's something about that photo real movement being done on twos that you can't get away with because it's coming from a photo real uh, weight and just every the drag, everything about it is real. So yeah, you have to do every frame. Um, just so people um, know what the hell we're talking about, actually, is it, is it possible to find it mm. on YouTube? Mm. Absolutely. And, and I think primarily they did the orcs in Roto. Um, It'll be hard to find it without... Uh, no, it was just Lord, Lord of the Rings. Oh, was it? Yeah. And they only got halfway through f- uh, book two, if I remember. Yeah, it's going to be hard not to find the... The new stuff. Ah, well done. Um, is this it? Yeah. Yep. Yeah. 1978. This way. Yeah, this is it. Yeah, see the orcs in the background? Yeah. And if you look at it, if, if you see this, they're struggling here to make it look 2D. <laughs> you know, this is this is almost real. And, yeah. they, and they've put it through a filter. Um, it's that and, close. And so the orcs in the background, they're rotoscoped. Yeah. Well, these here, I would argue, maybe aren't rotoscoped. Ah. I would say maybe these are actually a filter. When you right. when you mess around with the photochemical process, you can run filters into the detail. Yeah. I would have to say that that is photo. Ah, no. I've got you. Yeah, I've learnt something new. Definitely with all that cloth and everything, it's too accurate. Yeah. Yeah. I've got a feeling there are scenes in that that are more 2D, that are more hand-traced, and then it sort of gets a little... little, This sort of stuff looks a little more traced, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you can see them. Normally they do this little wobble thing around. Yeah. 
Yeah. So that's hand trace, but that other one, those those other sequences, they've just cheated completely and ran some filter over real photo, real photography. Yeah, that's a classic. <laughs> well, there's there's part part of my eighties contribution. Yeah, I've, nostalgia I'm, critic. Yeah. I'm I'm glad after all these years you've finally explained yeah. how, how they did it. Um, I watched the new Spock documentary made by his son. Oh, I didn't even know. Got released last week, existed. I think. Last week or the week before. I knew it had existed only because they did a sequence in um, Big Bang Theory. Oh. And... Um, Sheldon's character gets interviewed by Spock's son um, because he's a friend of Will Wheaton's and yep, this yep. sort of stuff. Um, but yeah, that that was a genuine project. He was making a documentary about his dad. One of the best documentaries I've seen in years and years and years. It was brilliant, man. Lots of file footage of him when he was in Westerns and all this sort of stuff. And a lot of it was him actually talking the the written words that were in his bi- uh, biography, so he's narrating um, his bio underneath the footage that was put together oh, by the cool. son, and then the son was doing this, and then it would become about the relationship with the son, and then it was back to Star Trek and Shatner, and man, you got to watch this thing. It was a, it was a masterpiece in documentary um, making, but it was such a good subject matter because he was such a cool cult dude yeah. his con- contribution to just the zeitgeist you know and the and the the message that he he was a hard worker he was he was a nice guy but he sang i know the musical version i know i've i've seen it <laughs> i've seen the video what is it the ballad of bilbo, bilbo baggins or yeah. something like that um that's in the doco um, and he had albums. He had singles and yeah, albums. Yeah, yeah. He was he was accomplished. Yeah. Very accomplished. Did you know he directed Three Men and a Baby? I had no idea. Yeah, no, I only found out through this docker. Because he knocked it out of the park. He directed his first Star Trek movie, which was the one where they go back to Earth in the past and yep. steal the whales. Yeah, yeah. That was his first directing debut, and it was a big hit. So they gave him another shot, which was Three and a Half Men. And I think they were the two... Mo- might have been the two only movies he directed. He just three men and a baby. You mean? What did I say? Three and a half men. Oh no, no. That what is three and a half men? That's that um, sitcom. Oh, with, shit, yeah, with Charlie Sheen. Yeah, I must have purged that from my memory. <laughs> um, <laughs> now, this is a little bit of. St- where is it? Where did it go? Here we Oops, go. This like- is some Statistica uh, on the last Starfighter. It had a budget. Where is it? If it's not here, I know where it is. Oh, no. Oh, yeah. It says production budget N8. Well, um, we've got IMDb. So that's not true. Somewhere down here, there is the budget. 15 million estimated. I'd say that's probably close, probably closer to 10. Wow, that's quite expensive for the time. Yeah, absolutely. Especially considering that it made 28 million. Um, and that's domestic box office. So I just, think its biggest audience might have been VHS. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It would so, have. so that's just the states that doesn't include. That's domestic. We can go up here. 
and this is adjusted to 2016 prices. So if it, if it was uh, did the same numbers today, yeah. tickets, it would have done 74 mil, which is, you know, that's still pretty low. But it, it's all about the, um, is this. It only ever went to 1,287 theatres. Well, they're in the, they're like 6,000 theatres will be, will take an Avengers movie and stuff yeah. like that. Um, so there was a very small sort of theatre number there. But that's that's not bad for sci-fi. Mm. No, that's that makes that's some pretty. Good, it's definitely not Star Wars, especially and it's a you know it's not an IP that pre-exists. It's yeah. not Aliens. It's yeah. So if you watch that documentary on YouTube, you'll somewhere through it you'll meet the guy that wrote it. Now I could be way off, right? But I get the sneaking suspicion that he wrote that, and that was his that was his moment. You know what I mean? But generally speaking, I don't think he's written anything else of note um, here. Let's have a look. We might as well have a look. The reason why I bring this guy up is every time someone asks the question, let's um, let's do a sequel or let's reboot it or whatever, this is the guy that won't let it happen apparently. Mm, What's he done? So he did this. He wrote the... He was a producer of Freddy's Nightmares, which was a TV series. Remember Theodore Rex with Whoopi Goldberg? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, he wrote that. He wrote one of the worst movies I think I've ever seen with the dinosaur guy and Whoopi Whoopi Goldberg. Yeah, what was Whoopi on when she did that? (laughs) I remember that film now. Yeah. And uh... See, see, now, five writing credits. Am I wrong in thinking that he has just plucked this thing out of the universe and because it's considered an incredibly good script. Well, you know, music has its equivalent. Look at The Knack. Yeah. My Sharona. (laughs) Yeah, you're right. You're right. What else did they do? Nothing. Yeah, you're right. Yeah, it's, you know, it's there. One hit wonder. Yeah, absolutely. That was, The Knack was from a... That that area of music, it's you. It's not like electronic music where every song is a one-hit wonder. Like a lot of artists have twenty names yeah. in the electronic music, but it was rarer to have like this incredible global phenomenon based around one song. Yeah, yeah and then and Knack is is a good example of that. I think that's what this guy is. I honestly think that this guy wrote the Last Starfighter, and that was the best thing he ever did and ever will do after that point. He's the guy that's got the stranglehold. Spielberg has tried to get it redone, right? Um, Seth Rogen tried for years and years and ran into Spielberg and mentioned it or it came up or something. He said, you'll never get that. I, I tried. I threw everything at it and I couldn't get it. And he's the guy, <laughs> apparently, until... And, and let me... Uh, I wonder why it must be because that's to him that it's already been done. He doesn't want it to be yeah. overshadowed yeah. and forgotten by. Oh, it's probably a because he's got demands. It's probably when, like, he's. But you've got to bring me on as producer, like, and I've got to have final. A lot of them won't let go of the creative. Like, it's like, no, I've got to have final, final script. I've got a final script approval has to come through me. Now, that's a massive thing for a studio to bank on. You mm. can't. You're not going to drop the checks when. Um, somebody could turn around at the end of it and say, nah, scrap it all and go and shoot the whole thing again. 
That's what final script approval means. Yeah, I can I can see the reluctance there. Yeah. It's very dangerous. He could be, and a lot of people do that because they've got all the aces. So anyway, I came across this. Last Starfighter heads to television. No. More than three decades after the original feature film was released in theatres, The Last Starfighter is coming back, to, this time to television. Uh, Variety reports today that Real TV is teaming with The Last Starfighter screenwriter, Jonathan Butel, uh, or Batul, for the new show that will be titled The Starfighter Chronicles. That's why you hold out. You own a TV series. series. Yeah. Well played. Yeah. Actually, well played. Touche, sir. <laughs> <laughs> well played. Um, I was so happy when I saw this. One, I think you could do a Chronicles. I reckon you could do a TV series, especially if we can do something like um, the HBO gems that are coming out You know, now with the Game of Thrones and things like that. You could... You could do some cool shit with it, but it's up its up to this guy who has only ever done one thing in his life that I can see of note, apart from the dinosaur movie with Whoopi. Um, on one hand, I'm scared. On the other hand, it's better than nothing. Maybe. Well, that's how I felt about Suicide Squad, actually. I saw that on the weekend. Heck, what do you think of that? I was very apprehensive. I'm a big Harley Quinn fan. Yeah. Um, I went in and I... Only one person I know, um, Andrew from AIE, the only person I knew that actually liked it, Yeah, went in. I loved it. You didn't mind it? I liked it. I liked it a lot. Are you a DC guy? Um, Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, Batman's what got me into comics a long time ago. See, for me, um, there were three big risks. One was Harley, because Harley's one of my favourite all-time characters. Yeah. You can't muck around with Harley as far as I'm concerned. Yep. Then there was the Joker. I'm thinking, you know. Yeah. yeah. And then just the whole Suicide Squad thing. But I think uh, Margot Robbie actually pulled off Harley. Nailed it. They're going to do a spin-off series with her. Or a spin-off movie. And probably my reaction that I was most surprised by was I really liked that version of Joker. Because to my knowledge, that hasn't been done in a... I thought it was good too. ...comic book. I... Could be wrong, because, mm. you know, um, he's so much in um, all sorts of things. But I I actually, because I saw the pictures and I thought, oh, really? Mm. Mm. And he's a singer yeah. first. Yeah. Like a, he's found acting from singing. But when I actually um, saw it, I actually enjoyed that. I thought that was a really, dare I use the old man's word, a contemporary version of the Joker. Like if yeah. the Joker was created t- today, mm. that's what he might... Yeah. So it actually worked. and I, actually I thought it worked. I think there's some controversy around his usage in the film in yeah. as far as they cut out a lot of his shit. Yeah. I, I, I don't c- think he's happy with it. Yeah, I could have done with it a bit more of him. Yeah. Um, I thought so too. And also the one thing it didn't hit right was the banter between the characters. Yeah. In, in the comics, the best lines, the best moments are the stuff that they say to each other. Yeah. Before, during, after, mm. you know, the action. Mm. It, like you almost want the action to occur so there can be the banter. Yeah. And, and do you feel that it's probably didn't fit the DC dark universe that they're trying to create? That well, the thing maybe is, that's why they did it? I don't... God knows what he had in his... Yeah, I don't know because, I mean, the Suicide Squad um, on page is quite dark mm. despite the banter. And the banter actually... Has to. The banter, because they have such often super... Like the banter compared to what they're doing... Is normally it offsets it. Yeah, it off, 
sets it, and it's almost like how can these guys be having this banter yeah. about you know arguing about like pizza or whatever when they've just you know killed a whole bunch of pe- yeah. people yeah um and yeah that was me missing yeah. basically the the banter between the characters I just I got a feeling either the writers weren't confident pulling it off or yeah. it was a thing from the studio it's probably the probably the studio man that wanted that action uh, I, th- I think they were probably nervous about having that interplay between characters because mm. generally when you say interplay between superheroes it's not what people yeah. think of and I yeah. think a studio would have been a bit nervous having a film that played a lot on that I think they would be DC they're so late to the party that they're trying potentially they're going to they're looking at too many options they mm. should I don't know, but something is disjointed and disconnected. I didn't mind the movie. I didn't mind the Suicide Squad. But I, when you hold it up to a Marvel product, they're both in the same – that's mm. the same genre, you know, yeah. and they're so different. Why are they so different? And and I just can't put my head – this is – this the Marvel product is is packaged well. Like it's, it's yeah. brought together and bound nicely. You know, it seems to work for – and it is what it is. It's a popcorn movie. It's a tentpole movie. But it's got heart, you know, and it's got mm. comedy where it needs it, and it works really, really well. Well, they've mastered the bloody thing. Mm. Um, thank God, John Favreau sort of started the whole thing with Iron Man, right? Yeah. And then they just built, tweak, 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 yeah. and then they got it, and then they're sweet. Now they can just experiment around yeah. that. See, I, don't, I think the big difference is DC haven't hit that point yet. Well, DC want to hit that point, yeah, and I think still- they're scared. And Fear I, is a bad thing to have, man. When you yeah. got when you want to take creative risks, you can't be scared. No. And I'm seeing the scared. I'm seeing it in the in the editing and the cutting and the decisions that are being made. Yeah. Killing Superman, you know, and stuff. Do we need to? Do we really need to do that? You know. So now, because now we've got to resolve all that shit to get. You know, it's. I don't know. There's there's some safety nets being used there, and you can't do that. Nolan didn't do that no. with Batman. Considered some of the best filmmaking. Yeah in the last couple of decades he didn't he had no fear yeah I think there yeah I think there's a certain um, disjointedness between some elements or some people that want to take the risks and Mm. do the Chris Nolan and then probably resistance from probably the the studio I suspect yeah and I think unfortunately they haven't quite found their formula yet whereas Mm. Marvel have Mm. Um, if if they both started, if they were both at the same place when Marvel was still exploring yeah. and trying to find that formula and yep. hitting missing, I don't think we'd notice. Um, they only need one good film again. Yeah. It only takes one film. And then it just shakes the audience, uh, wakes them up again to all of the potential of DC. Yeah. Like, you know, don't don't write us off. Look yeah. at all the shit we've got here. Yeah. Um, but they, did, they need something to come back and can make a connection with their audience because I don't know whether they've done it yet. Yeah, I'm surprised with the Chris Nolan, they didn't take more lessons from that, yeah, to be honest. that's what I reckon as well. You, you built a universe that people were gravitating to and engaging with. Why depart that? You know, yeah. You're rolling the dice. I think it was um, Schneider. Like, I honestly think... And Schneider, they kept Schneider on. I think I'm saying the right name. Jack, Zack Schneider, right. yeah, yeah. yeah. He did What's, the Batman, Superman. What else has he done? Well, um, before... I, I want to know. Um, they've kept him on. DC have kept him on as an executive producer of the next movie. And he, I know he was in on 
Suicide Squad as well. Um, yeah, well, he was the director and writer, wasn't he, for Suicide Squad? Was he? That's what I thought. From Maybe. My, from my rather dodgy memory. Sp- spurious memory. Sounds like mine. Um, Sucker Punch. Uh, that had so much. Th- Tales of the Black Freighter. The second 300. Yeah. I don't know whether... Oh, no, the, these are some directing. What, what were those first ones? Producing. Okay. Okay, directing. director. Dawn of the Dead, 300. So he did the original 300, which would have been his breakout, I would have say, said, yeah. if this is chronological. And yeah, see, he's Justice League. Oh, so he didn't direct Suicide Squad. I was wrong. Uh, um, he's this... There's, he's got something to do with Suicide Squad, though. It could be out. writing. Let's open up writer. Son mm. of a... Wonder Woman, he wrote. He wrote Wonder Woman. I did see his name up in the credits more than once. So maybe we need to look up Suicide Squad. Dan, where's Dan, our fact yeah. finder? Dan, did Zack Snyder have any affiliation with Suicide Squad? Just uh, jump on that. Thanks, mate. <laughs> uh, yeah if if he did it'd be listed here definitely wouldn't it well, maybe it's not updated yet let's try that so yeah Zach is heavily entrenched in DC alright is that a good thing do we oh, what am I doing here you're looking up Suicide Squad you're prime su- su- hang on here we go. <laughs> uh, so he's not no. d- director or writer. So I was totally on drugs when I, in my memory. How how did I get that so wrong? I f- really thought I saw his name up there. Could be in the trivia. I know he's got some affiliate. I think he was like a. Uh, an executive producer or some kind of overseer. Um, because I remember his name being a major thing yeah. on the credits yeah. somewhere. He's, he's th- I'm, I'm dead serious. He Maybe put in, in Zack Snyder plus Suicide Squad. Let's yeah. Google. Yeah. Google. Actually, Dan should be all over this. Where's Dan's response? He's got, um, uh, yeah, seems he did, but he's not elaborating on that. Thanks, Dan. Thanks, Dan. You've told me... Not much. Um, Zack Snyder. <laughs> Poor Dan's can't even respond back. You guys, <laughs> you're messing up. He's going through his 14th box of tissues. <laughs> and we were struggling to have this meeting today. He was he was not good. Um, Suicide Squad, Zack Snyder directed a key scene in the film. Uh-huh. Yeah. The one Suicide Squad scene that Zack Snyder directed. There we go. So he directed a scene. Well, I'll be buggered. I'm not sure which scene. Um, yeah, I'm not sure. Could be anything. Maybe this one. Um, so, yes, he had an affiliation, though. I. Yeah, you don't often see a director come in hey, and shoot a sequence for someone else's movie yeah i did hear that they had they they made the film looked at it went nut nah, and then reshot some scenes yeah. i heard somewhere actually I, whether that's true or not i don't know i think i've heard that as well but i've heard the same thing about um 
Rogue One. Yeah, yeah. They saw some uh, saw some dailies and had to go out and shoot some some pickups. But um, that stuff happens. This this um, Dan likes this guy. This is John Campier. Um, but listen to he, the way he talks about doing a reboot. The last Starfighter for me is one of those movies that when it's brought up, I start doing this. Yeah. yeah. I just get so happy. I just feel happy thinking about The Last Starfighter. The premise is incredible. Mm -hmm. I mean, and it, it's a premise that can work today. Mm -hmm. An alien race actually secretly planted a video game on Earth to see who's got the hand-eye coordination and instincts and skills to be a universal Starfighter pilot. Awesome. Yeah. The characters were funny and enjoyable. And this is one of those films. I said on a show the other day, I've got four rules for doing a reboot. At least 20 years old, a film that the majority of the current film going audience hasn't seen, can benefit from modern technology, and is a narrative and is a story that can be translated well into a modern context. Check, 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 and check. I, <laughs> I love that as, as a set of guidelines. Yeah. Is it, it, it's absolutely bang on the money. It's, I'm going to write it and actually that keep can be it. Translated well into a modern context. It's, check, it's absolutely check, perfect. Check, I really check. like I those, all for a last those rules. Anyway. I actually, but they, that, that comes up all the time on, on these types of shows, The Last Starfighter. And usually people are all for um, some kind of product. So someone decided to do Last Starfighter the musical, you know, and off, off Broadway. This is. As far as I'm aware, off off Broadway is still better than Town Hall. Like yeah, off, you're still in New York, aren't you? Yeah, off off Broadway is just more. Um, I guess in Australia, at least, there's sort of three layers. Well, three professional layers. Mm. You've got your mainstream Sydney Theatre Company, Belvoir yeah. Street. Yeah. Then you've got your basically doing trying to do the same stuff but without the budget. Yeah. The sort of indie, and then you have the avant garde. Yeah. Which is where I used to do my, my work off yeah. Broadway. I think is there sort of indie, yeah, yeah, so they can take more risks, yeah. but it's not um, avant garde, like they're not and gonna more, do a break. usually more one off, you know, yeah, for yeah. a very short run, yeah, yeah, yeah. So, somebody's been nice enough. This is the last Starfighter. This is genuine, man. This is a genuine thing. Um, someone created the last Starfighter, the musical, and someone's been nice enough to actually include some recordings of the. <laughs> Of the songs. This is Xander Zan. I'm in pain just thinking about it. I was having the bitchinest dream. Me, oh my, Miss July. She and I. This is an episode of The Simpsons, so right? Then I jumped from this god awful scream. And there's Alex running to the window. He said, Hazandazan! I said, what? He said, go back to sleep, Lewis. <laughs> then he hurried from the room. It's a Zandazan. The creepy creature in the video game. Remember the name. It's one and the same. Right here in our backyard. I don't want to stop it. <laughs> All I can think of is Dr. Zayas, Dr. Zayas. Yeah, yeah. I remember that as well. Um, we're going to have to do that on another show as well. Um, so, yes, uh, these are classics. These are time-honoured classics that I'll have to rip down and put in my iTunes playlists. Um, 
Who would have known that when I went down the rat hole that was The Last Starfighter, that this is where I would come out? Wow. That's what you play to students. That's what you threaten them with if yeah. they haven't put in that assignment Absolutely. yet. You need to um, document word for word. You need to transcribe the words from these songs into a document for me. That means they've got to listen to them over and over again. <laughs> um, so that's what to do, what not to do with IP. This is someone went out and made the game. This is the last Starfighter fan made game. So they're based on what they saw um, in the film and whatever research that they could get their hands on. They recreated the game. Oh, they did the HUD very faithfully. And you can download it. It's completely free to download and create. Greetings, uh, Starfighter. You have been recruited by the Star League to defend the frontier against Sewer and the Kodan Armada. Get ready? Prepare for blast off. <laughs> it's awesome. Straight from the film. It's it's really cool. And so this is this is the primitive nature of it, but it all works. It yeah. completely works. It's a fully working, fleshed out game. I can see a design student assignment. Yeah. Make a game based on the film. Yeah. It's pretty cool. Hey. So of course, mankind being the way they are, someone went and built the absolute inch-by-inch inch replica of the game and the, made the plans available. So we can all go and do it now. This We can build the the uh, um, the cabinet and use the downloadable game, which is right at the bottom here. You can download the Starfighter full version, load it into your uh, cabinet, and you have the exact replica of, from the film. There you go, Dan. Well, while you can't speak, you can get started on that. Just knock that up for me, please, Dan. <laughs> <laughs> um, and that's probably going to wrap it up. There's only there's there's. I'll give you a little sneak peek of what I'm going to talk to uh, next week. This is uh, something I came across during my uh, last Starfighter rat hole. Uh, Does it involve singing? <laughs> no, no singing. But it's an awesome piece of. Uh, it's a great site for starters. This film site because they've got lots of things like best picture milestones. Um, Mistakes and omissions. Um, here, Zom best zombie films, film editing sequences, Bond films, best to, to, to worst rated. It's really cool. But this one was really cool. This is greatest visual effects uh, milestones, and it starts. Um, if I went back to the main one, which I won't, it starts at like in like eighteen something and goes all the way through to uh, current time and you can track a lot of these things and what they added to the film industry the the milestone things that they added and obviously last starfighter there's a digital graphic pioneers um where is it oh yeah it was a groundbreaking breaking film it was the first film to feature the extensive use of cgi most importantly the integrated use of photorealistic computer generated cgi models for all Gunstar vehicles or spaceships, for planet shots and for high-tech hardware rather than the more traditional miniatures. So, yeah, this is a cool site. I'll refer to this heaps because all of these films, the way film is, is you're always trying to, it's one-upmanship yeah. and it's the same technically as well. So these are really cool to see who were the players that went out on a limb and tried to do something really unique, which all cost money. You scroll down. I'm very, I'm just, I don't want to spoil your show. No, no, not at all. Me. I'm just curious to see what they have. 
This one here, Young Sherlock Holmes, man. This this uh, this was a series put together by yeah, Spielberg and Lucas to test all of their new tech so that they could use it in their films. Yeah. And so this scene where the knight jumps out of the stained glass window, it's a famous scene, right? Because it's yeah. the first CG, 3D CG character, uh, photorealistic animated character. And the person that animated that, have you ever seen the guy in the colourful Hawaiian shirts from Pixar with the glasses? Yeah. John yeah, Lasseter? Yeah. Lasseter animated that. He'd only just come over from Disney and joined the ranks over in this new computer division at uh, computer animation division at Lucas, which later became Pixar and you know, sold to Steve Jobs for f- four million. Um, he hand rotoed a projected he, the footage was projected because it's handheld camera, right? Mm-hmm. So footage was projected over his shoulder onto his workspace, and he hand rotoed that performance. He said it was the hardest animation job in his life. That there opened a whole doorway of photoreal characters on film. This, these sorts of tests, um, this series is credited with an incredible array of uh, experimental stuff. You know, morphing, there's a whole bunch of stuff. But this, see this here, this is the film milestones. It starts yeah. at um, 1880 goes all the way through to present day and in detail it looks at all these little little decade here and there sometimes it's a two or three year yep, period yep, yep. it's awesome man love this stuff because essentially this is this is creative pioneering yeah. for no other reason than entertainment which is cool man that's you know that's a great thing to, there's not many things that are pioneering that are yeah. actually entertaining and this stuff is so yes I will probably uh, dig into that and see if we can find some gold in that particular site next next week. So that's the podcast, man. What do you think? Was that all right? Yep. Was, wasn't too painful? Yep. The chair's pre- pretty comfortable. <laughs> I'm well lubricated all yeah, as well. Yeah, absolutely. If anything, we, we waffle um, a little too easily. Yep. Um, so we'll probably have to uh, dial that back a little bit when Dan's here next time. Otherwise, you won't get a bloody word in. Yep. Um, so Dan at home hope you get well buddy Um, and uh, we'll see when you get back to work all the best any parting words you want to say to the world say to me say to your Um, loved ones Dan keep working on the cabinet (laughs) (laughs) awesome work so that's it for us uh, for another episode Uh, hopefully Dan will be back with us next time we will Sign off with Dan's standard sign off, which is save often. Till next time, bye for now. Bye.